Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh we waiting on reparations, uh-uh, uh-uh. Ditch the history books and let me tell you the tale of the Alabama Communist Party, Depression Era. Tired of getting scared off of the sheriffs and sharecropping for bear crumbs, the black folks paired up with the fair forms. You came and said, I folks, they try to turn your lights off or deny your right to vote. We run up on them with rightful to live a suicidal. But the black folks was kind of weird. They couldn't really read, but they can say some hymns and Lenin in it. And this alliance of red and black and the white will later lay the framework for the fights at Rosa Parks and Angie Davis. So when they say that it's Marxist, if you're brave and punch your racist, Historically, that kind of holds up, actually. You are listening to Waiting on Reparations, a production of iHeartRadio. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Or afternoon, or. Depending on when you're listening to this, if you're listening to this when it just came out, then happy St. Patrick's Day Uh, to you. Yeah, or if if it's after that, um, take some ibuprofen, you'll drink some water. Call in, call in to work. Call in sick. They don't need you. Maybe. What, what it, I, I mean, maybe if you're like a, a school crossing guard for like an elementary school, maybe don't call out. The children yeah, need you. Don't. But I mean, otherwise, who cares? Be hungover. It's fine. I think everybody's definitely going to take notice of the subdued intro this morning I, I know why the hell i'm tired why, why are you <laughs> so i am in waco texas this morning <coughs> you drove to waco so yeah see what happened was see what happened was um i'm gonna to south by southwest um and we had a show in birmingham on saturday and hung out in birmingham a couple days excited to talk to y'all about some of that um, you know, which has inspired this week's episode. So we hung out in Birmingham for a couple of days, which birthed my interest in doing this show. But, um, you know, our hope to drive about halfway and stop was shattered when we got to the hotel that we had booked um, online. And it was not only mad sketchy, it was so sketchy that we rolled up to check in 
and they were like, "Oh yeah, we don't accept electronic payment." I was like, "What do you mean? I yeah. paid online for them." They, like, no. they were like, "Nah, it doesn't count. It doesn't count." So yeah. I'm pretty sure these I'm pretty sure these cats just took my money and just just yeah, wouldn't but... give us a room. And so, man, there's just so much to unpack about everywhere we've been so far. But ultimately, we like tried to find hotels like, you know, an hour out, two hours out. And finally, we're just like, yo, look, Paul's grandma lives in Waco. If we make it to Waco, we're good. So we Is the whole up- family on the trip? Oh, no, no, no. It's just me. Ace okay. is home with, you know, grandma, et cetera. But um, so we ended up driving, you know, we managed to drive like six hours yesterday. I ended up being Mark 11. So my voice may sound a bit scratchy and I may sound a bit tired because that happened. But I mean, along the way, a lot of really dopeness has transpired. So part of why uh, getting here took us so long is because we stopped for three hours in Jackson, Mississippi. And had lunch with Jerry Mitchell. Are you familiar with Jerry Mitchell? No. Jerry Mitchell is the investigative reporter that solved the unsolved murders of Medgar Evers and of the case of the Birmingham church bombings. Oh, snap. And a number of other, like, civil rights cold cases. Yeah, and so, like, this was the dude that put a bunch of Klansmen in jail for, like, (laughs) murdering civil rights heroes. So we, uh, you know, there, there was a there was a movie about um, the trial for like the the killer of Medgar Evers called The Ghost of Mississippi with Alec Baldwin and Whoopi Goldberg and James Wood, I believe. But I wonder, I can't remember. I wonder who played that reporter in that movie because I'm sure he had have to have been a character in it. I gotta look it up. And also, he was super cool and nice. I would love to have him on the show to talk about his work. Oh, for sure. Um, as well, in Birmingham, we had the opportunity to hang out with Isaiah Thomas, the, one of the lead organizers of the Amazon unionization effort. Uh, 20 years old, ball of lightning. Like, had a, I thought you meant the Isaiah Thomas as an NBA nah, legend. I'm sorry, <laughs> no. No, 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 it's cool, it's all good. So lots of interesting Birmingham history uncovered in the course of this trip that I would love us to, you know, touch on in like a multi-part series on the city. Because Birmingham, yeah, no, yeah, yeah I, think that's a, I think that's an awesome idea. Um, I mean, just from the stuff that we got for uh, today, it's it's definitely a rich history that you can really dig into. Yeah, Birmingham so. is a wild place, has been, perhaps always will be. I don't know. I've only been, I've only been to Birmingham once. I think it was to do like a... Was it like secret stages or something? Oh yeah, wait. So we um, we played at the Syndicate Lounge for this hip hop series called Lobotomix. Actually, hung out yeah, with Rashid yeah. Bowyer in Birmingham. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, rich history, rich music scene, lots to cover. So today we're gonna dig on into some lesser known history um, of Birmingham. We'll see what we'll see what we get there. We might have to return to the topic because there's so much to say. But um, you're about to get out on the road yourself, is my understanding. Yeah, I'm just doing like a short little run. I'm doing some Saint, a St. Patty's show tomorrow, and then I'm doing something else in North Carolina the day after that. So it's just going to be, you know, a traveling weekend. And I'm also I'm coming out with a new, there's a new EP that I was dropping with an Atlanta producer named Josiah Soren. 
Oh. But uh, it's like a lo-fi, jazzy sort of thing. It's just like, you know, three songs, but we're, we've been cutting the video and it's like running down to the wire. So it's like in between the podcast and the video, then having to go out of town. This And then our city in Savannah. Savannah has, last time I checked, I think like the third or fourth biggest St. Patrick's Day, like, celebration, I guess, in the country. Period? Wow. Which is, yeah, it's weird, right? But, like, we're about to have an influx of, like, 200,000 people oh, in this say town. Word. Yeah, so it's, it's Dang, about to be crazy here. There's nowhere to park. It's, 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 everything's whack. And, you know, it's just been a hectic week. So we don't want to front. Our aesthetic is, is, is you know. We're keeping it real lo-fi, boom, bad. This is going to be very much in the spirit of those you know, MF Doom transitions between anime cartoons at 1 a.m. Yeah, where it's no. kind of like hazy, you laid back. <laughs> yeah, as we get into some uh, lesser known history of the city of Birmingham, Alabama. All right, we'll be with that after the jump. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here... We have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. 
Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. So you had this adventure in Birmingham. Where do you want to start as far as like the history or something about it that not too many people know about? So, I mean, I would characterize this as like, quote unquote, all the way back. But in thinking about that, I imagine there's even wilder history, even farther back than, you know, here, the Great Depression era. Um, if we get into slavery, abolition, indigenous folks, etc. But I did want to start out talking about this era because it is well documented in Robin D.G. Kelly's book, Hammer and Ho, from which we take the title of this episode. Um, so while we're talking about the Depression era, I want to also couch this as a part of a larger tendency in the media to sort of just like forget about the South. Like, we, like, despite the fact we have this very rich history of liberation struggle um, against, like, oppressive forces that are perhaps, you know, more visible, particularly brutal, you still see, like, coastal liberals, like, making fun of the South every time Republicans, like, are awful. I think of how, like, in Georgia, like, um, voter suppression bills wrote, raised calls to boycott the state for people outside the state, even though, like, nobody in the state wanted that. Um think about people joking that like in Texas and Kentucky like all these survivors of like weather disasters deserve their state's horrible relief responses because quote unquote like they voted for their leaders despite the fact that like majorities of people don't vote at all so let's you know not even talk about that I guess and then again you know back in our home state once once more thinking about how many like progressives um, and leftists we have elected to various levels of government, um, when you hear about like successful left electoral projects, you think about like New York, or you hear about it in Nevada. But they ain't got no love. They ain't got no love for people in the in the South fighting for their freedom. So, I think so, Birmingham's a great example of history that goes untold. Okay, so just because you you brought that up in terms of like you know, the like you said the liberal like thing of like oh let's boycott the state or business should, businesses should pull out of the state because of something they're doing. What's, what is, like, another um, effective, I guess, like, political, like, repercussion or punishment that you can do when some of these gerrymandered Georgia legislatures, like, do wild shit that's not really in tune with the rest of the country? Um, send resources. Like, what's, what's something you can do to affect the, the officials or to affect the government that... that instilled that since you said like a lot of the population doesn't vote and there's people there who have that will be affected by like boycotts and stuff yeah i mean send resources to organizations that are organizing in the state that are doing voter registration and voter education and a voter turnout efforts etc because like yeah boycotts hurt working people i mean if the working people call for it and they're like down for that then that's what's up in this case a lot of folks that um, are part of who have been drawn to Georgia by like the expanding film industry are folks that vote Democrat and those are folks that are going to be har- harmed by a boycott and might be like well guess I gotta move, move back to California because like you know the movie sets shut down because no one wanted to do business here anymore 
actually further cementing Republican power in the state. But like, yo, if you, you know, take that, if, you know, if you want to do a little boycott, fine. Um, you know, like, oh, I'm not gonna buy Coca-Cola because they gave 50 grand to like the author of the Senate bill, making it illegal to hand out water in voting lines or whatever. You know, all right, take the 20 bucks and give it to like um, um, Asian Americans advancing justice or um, Poder Latinx, which they, you know, get out the vote for, you know, in Hispanic communities or something. Because then actually you're you're fighting the problem by helping people, the people fighting the problem, fight the problem. You know what I'm saying? I feel I feel conflicted about it because, I mean, on one hand, I definitely hear what you're saying. And I mean, I agree with it. But then there's just like another part of it where it's like, what can you do to these big entities other than hurt their pockets? I mean, at the end of the day, you, know, you and do. It's like, unfortunately, the shit has trickled down because of the way everything is tied up together. But like when we were talking about the NFL a couple of weeks ago, you know, that's the only the, the easiest way to get that to happen would be to boycott the NFL for them to lose money because of it. And that would not only affect the billionaires, but it would probably affect a lot of low level people worse than it would affect the billionaires but that would be something tangible like oh we're losing viewership we're losing money people aren't buying jerseys anymore okay they're upset because of what all right let's change that but when you're and, doing that against actively against the wishes of the people who are doing the work in the state like what why why would you do that like literally i was getting arguments with people not in georgia about the boycott in Georgia and trying to be like, no, like I live here. <laughs> like I know what I'm talking about. Like no one has asked for this. I appreciate your intent. And people even being condescending in that regard as well. Like, oh, well, you know, yeah, shut up, whatever. Like just being so insistent that they want to do things the way they want to do things, even though they have no inside knowledge of what is happening and are just so and so, so, so insistent and just like, blatantly disrespecting like what people are actually asking for that are in these empathic communities um, and have been doing this organizing for a long time. So that's a thing. I mean, you're absolutely right that hitting them in their pockets is effective. But like, if, if that's like, if you're just going over, like over and around what people are actually asking you to do, like it's not actually about the issue for you. It's about being on some kind of moral high horse and like an ego trip. Okay. But um, you know, I don't want to get this is, again. This is why you like you said this episode is an onion of discussions. I don't want to get too bogged down in any one topic. But, oh, yeah. Let's keep it. Rolling. Ooh, I definitely I definitely thought of an addition to that. But to OK, we can we can come back to this if we have to, like, save this snippet for something else. But anyway, <laughs> so. Um, so, yeah, people people forget about the South. They like, oh, you know, the Edmund Pettus Bridge and like the Freedom Riders. But like, um especially with like the CRT bands trying to happen, you're certainly not going to hear about some of this kind of stuff. I mean, you can't even hear about like traditional civil rights history, let alone like um, some of the stuff I'm about to tell you about today. <laughs> yeah, it's like obscure, esoteric, like, yeah. Yeah, okay, so. Um, so this book that I referenced, Robin D.G. Kelly's Hammer and Ho, is a history of the Alabama communist movement during the Great Depression. And let me just tell you, it is a completely and totally wild read. Um, like, I just, I, it's really, it's going to be very hard for me to capture because my mind was just like, excuse me, what? <laughs> um, so in it, Kelly describes the way that black workers um, brought existing traditions of resistance to racial depression into development of a unique version of Marxism and how the Communist Party came to attract 
a substantial number of um, African-American workers in Alabama to like fight for like, you know, struggles that we typically think of in the Great Depression era, you know, getting welfare and, you know, just the means to survive when so many people are out of work. And obviously the right to vote, just fighting racial terrorism by the Klan and the police, etc. Um, and so we think of it as just like, oh, yeah, typical civil rights struggle. But like in Birmingham during the Great Depression, like the, the folks that were like about that life for real, for real, were like straight up like communists, apparently. Like straight, like not like the, oh, we're just going to call you communists because we No, don't exactly. Like you. And speaking of that, I want to go ahead and give this caveat <laughs> I mean, we're not caveat as much as it's just like something I've been thinking about lately. Because I've been waiting for the day that someone tries to ask me if I'm a communist. Because that's like the scary, like, and I've been thinking about it because I'm not. But I'm like, okay, the answer I think is legitimately is that I'm not because I don't even think I know what communism really is. And neither does anyone. Most, Most anyone that would ask either of us that question like doesn't know what it is either um essentially oh sorry what is it no no no, i mean i'm just i was gonna add to that is i I feel the same way it's like i'm not but i don't know go ahead i'll I'll finish with my thoughts after you okay i will say that i am vaguely familiar with it as an idea i guess as like a moneyless classless stateless society but i literally don't even know what that means either like, it's just really hard to imagine. So I would essentially say that I am kind of too dumb to be a communist. There's a lot of big books you got to read and stuff, I hear. Well, it seems. I don't know. It's a guy named Karl I would Marx imagine that's from, like, a theory sort of more scholarly standpoint, I guess. Because there's got to be, like, a more, uh, what's the word? There has to be a more, like, proletariat understanding Clearly, because that's what we're going to get into. Yeah, absolutely. It's not like, hey, I have to read some fucking gigantic book of theory by seven different Russian dudes. Or I mean, some that's shit a like good that. point because these cats but, down here in the Great Depression era, like they couldn't read a lot of them. Yeah, exactly. So now I'm like, I, wait a I, second, how did they? How did they get so into this stuff? Like, I don't know. Gotta reread I, the book. For some reason, it's weird because like you're a politician, but like I get in conversations all the time where people ask me like, "Are you a socialist or are you a communist?" And I kind of give the same answer that you did, where it's like, I don't know enough about the shit to claim that I'm in anybody's group, but yeah. I know that the the people that I don't like, I look <laughs> I, I, I I look at communism and socialism in terms of like labels the same way that I do as woke. I don't personally identify as that shit, but like all the people that I hate seem to not like it. So I, I'm a little curious. Yeah, and that actually then makes me think about how people like identify as like a proud capitalist or whatever. Yeah, when they work at like Radio Shack or whatever, <laughs> it's like you don't know you don't know what capitalism is, do you? <laughs> you ain't got no capital. You ain't got zero means of production, my friend. Um, so at least I know that like I'm not that not even because I, yeah. I don't want to be I just don't have like properties I'm renting out or like a factory that people work in like I'm literally not a capitalist yeah. in the definition of the term but a lot of people don't know what any of these terms mean and I guess neither did um, like the black laborers and sharecroppers down in Birmingham until like you know I guess it I guess like the international like 
Communist Party. Like, yo, mm-hmm. it's real rough for black folks down there. We need to send folks down there to help them out because this is real bleak and we're trying to get everybody free. And so a couple of white communists showed up in Birmingham and um, it was a part of like, I guess, in the imagination of like folks that had experienced like the Civil War, you know, experienced Reconstruction, etc. There was this lingering sense that like the Yankees were coming back. Like, okay, the the reconstruction failed, but the Yankees are coming back to, like, save us and, like, holding out to that hope. So when these, like, white communists showed up, they're like, oh, yay, the Yankees are here to, like, set up, like, help us fight for our freedom. And they didn't give a, they didn't care at all, like, what their political ideology was. They were just like, yo, these people seem ready to throw down. Let's go. And kind of, like, launch this crazy, like, this huge movement. I think I read up until there was like 12,000 people involved oh, in like these, like this coalition of organizations that like came about through the like Communist Party organi- organizing at the time. Um, but yeah. So who, who, who were all the organizations? Um, so there was like the Sharecroppers Union. Um, the Communist Party itself had about 500 people. Sharecroppers Union had up to 12,000. Um, I think the number of like trade unions that got involved in this work of varying sizes, um, but yeah, altogether they they were they was like they was rolling deep they was rolling deep. But <laughs> another thing I wanted to say on this is like I think that this that that fact of like the pe- they were like rolled with the folks who showed up to help them no questions asked is like very is very true of politics still. Um, there's a lot of like consternation among like white progressives in Athens about why um, older black folks are so conservative sometimes. Um, I say sometimes, I don't wanna paint black voters into like any kind of box because we're very ideologically diverse, but. We've had this discussion, yeah, like, but, like being black is not the political stat, like it's position. Not, yeah, it's not a political party and thank God it's not, it'd be worse than the Democrats because it's like the big tent includes everyone from Joe Manchin to you know, Bernie Sanders, whatever, right? Yeah. But and you can't get anything done. But um, it's like the well, y- y'all. The re- well, one of the reasons of many why like black folks of a like of a politically powerful class in the sense like they're consi- they're a very consistent voting block. They turn out to every election. They sit on like committees and you know have all these political connections. It's because like the folks that have always shown up around here are the Republicans. And not even out of a sense of like building deep community relationships or even caring about people's problems. They've just always been around and they've always had the power. And if you want power, those are the people you have to work with. And so a lot of these folks have been working with Republicans for like 20 years because they're the only, that's the only shot you have of getting anything for the community because they have all the power. And so those are the folks they roll with. They're like, oh, well, you know, good old, you know, Buddy McClanster um, has always, like, yeah, yeah, he's been in office for like 20 years. I know that guy. He's always been around. And so, like, that's my homie. For no other well, reason I mean, than they're just the people around. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you're right. I just, I just always think we got to, like, caution, though. You know, I, I never, like, I always try to not to, to look at things in, like, a class reductionist sort of way. Because at the end of the day, it's like, even if somebody, you know, politically is someone you can work with. I mean, 
you, they still require some vetting because they're like if they don't think like black and brown people are human then then the whatever policies that they're talking about don't include us you know what I mean? that is the thing that ends up blowing my mind though it's like so y'all telling me because for example this dude this reverend in athens almost ran for a commission and he gave like two thousand dollars to brian kemp at one point old black reverend guy it's like you mean to tell me y'all roll with the cats that want to literally ban like the stuff like this history of the stuff you did in the 60s yeah marching and stuff they want to ban us from talking about that in schools so these are the people y'all rolling with for real I, I can't yeah i can't i can't i can't do it i can't do it and so like that, i mean yeah. it's I mean, perhaps I, also, under, I understand sorry. the necessity of it, but there is—I don't even know if I'm if I'm being principled about that. It's just like I can't help somebody achieve their goal as if they're including me in their goal when they're not. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in this case, talking, you know, going back to Depression Era Alabama. I mean, these you know these folks, whether you were you know agree with their vision for what. The ultimate goal is for their organizing, you know, a quote-unquote moneyless, classless, stateless society, whatever that is. Um, they did want to get black people free. They was like real, 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 real about it. Um, but I mean, one aspect, I guess, of like recalling my memory of this book, I don't know to what degree there was resistance to like, you know, oh y'all y'all communists like what is mm? you know perhaps it was that like um mccarthyism and stuff and like red scare soviet stuff it wasn't really a thing yet um so people weren't as you know as like hmm i should be concerned about this um as well i will say that one of the things that's great about kelly's book is that he doesn't try to say that like communism is good like that's for you know the reader to think about on their own it's just like yo this is what happened yeah. Like they went down here and this is what happened and like do with this knowledge what you will. Um, so it's pretty like neutral and objective if you want to just like learn about a piece of history that you wouldn't anywhere else because they definitely not going to teach you about this in school. Yeah, not anymore, definitely. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> um, so, man, so, you know, these white communists that rolled up in Alabama, there were all these devoutly religious and like only it's kind of able to read and write like black laborers and sharecroppers, a couple of handful of like working class white folks, um, and unemployed industrial workers, you know, housewives, young folks, some renegade liberals. And um, they just like, were ready to throw down. And this, what's really interesting to me, is like the role of religion in all this. So these folks, like all these folks were like devout Christians, right? They believed in Jesus and redemption. Um, and then when, when they started to roll the idea of salvation into like their organizing on the ground they came to start to kind of believe that like russia would come and save them the way that like jesus would if anything uh, got to be real bad yeah it's right what now it gets weird no and then get this so they blended the teachings of marx and lenin in with like their popular spirituals um, into their sermons. And so, for example, they turned a line and give me that old time religion at the end of the song into if it was good enough for Lenin, it's good enough for me. And that's what they were like singing in the churches. I see. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's like merging together like this 
this like, ongoing struggle, resistance struggle, and like its rootedness in Christianity and the church, were just rolling in the stuff that these cats brought with them down from New York or wherever, and like weaving it like really tightly into like the existing fabric of their culture. Um, I'm pretty sure Karl Marx was like really racist. I, you know what? I don't know. I think you're right, though. I have a feeling. I, I mean, right. I, I mean, not you know, not even like particulars. I just think he was like you know, like obviously of the times. So that's just he was of the times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. But I mean, again, just going to what we were saying, you know, it's like there, the it's just not every obviously not everything can be broken down into that class divide because like you know I just don't think that on anywhere of you know Lenin or Marx list of priorities that they were thinking liberation of black people in America yeah yeah I mean it's interesting again read the book I was drawing a little bit from memory on this there were some oh, yeah, clashes yeah. and struggles between the white and black working classes and struggles to bring the white folks in etc but ultimately it did end up being like a multiracial movement because while um all the black folks i mean they were getting strung up, strung up by you know in trees and stuff the white folks couldn't get any sort of like um relief from the great depression hunger and stuff and so they oh yo we actually having the same problems out here you mean to tell me if we like unite like we can all get some like that kind of that kind of spirit is also something yeah. i don't want you to know about but what they really don't want you to know about is that these folks believed in armed self-defense. And I mean believed in it. Like they were like militant, like militant, militant, engaging in what one historian called suicidal confrontations with the police, union busters, the Klan. They were like not at all afraid to meet God. Like a lot of, a lot of folks like got killed in gun battles. In addition to like, oh, just typical like racist terrorism in the South. Like literally they just rolled up like prepared to die, like in violent war with the police and stuff. <laughs> the Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the US and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby Award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy 
and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's a question. Do you think, do you think that um, the religious aspect of it that they incorporated into it, uh, at all might have helped people get in that sort of like mindset of like being prepared to yeah i mean i imagine so yeah i also recently had been watching the the new john brown tv show the good lord's bird oh, i haven't seen that i would recommend it ethan hawk is like pretty bananas in it but um thinking like i didn't really understand like the religiosity that kind of underpinned john brown's like pursuit to end slavery by any means like he was like you know, slavery is a sin. It's a great, like, one of the great sins. Like, you know, God has sent me to, like, dispatch any slaver and, like, by any means, like, get people free, like, in the name of the Lord, right? And so... Did you... Yeah, what? Did you see the, um... There was a PragerU video that they did about, uh... Uh, who was it? Was it George Washington? No, it wasn't George Washington. The prayer you did a video on somebody and they were like trying to be like, hey, why this person's statues shouldn't be pulled down or something like that. And they were giving a list of the different things that they did. Like that they were trying to say, <laughs> hey, this Confederate this. person I did this. was good. This. And one of the things was uh, they helped bring down the John Brown revolt. It was like, wait a minute. Yeah, first of all, don't you realize all slavery ended in America through violence? There was a giant war, yeah, if you may war, recall. Yeah. And that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to start a like a war to end slavery. So uh, maybe wouldn't have been solved any other way. Check your check your math there, Prager. You I don't know what you I don't know what you're trying to say here, sir. But yeah, I wonder I mean like um I wonder too, the degree to which like, yo, we're going to heaven fighting, you know, valiantly for like the Lord's will by like getting out here and getting these gun battles with the police, how much that like inspired their work. And that then makes me think of like, one of the things that like drove my um, like fairly recent disillusionment with like Christianity was like seeing how folks often are like, well, you know, it's just a part of God's plan and there's nothing you can really do about it. We'll just like wait around to go to heaven and it'll be a real lit then. And it's like, bro, like, 
we, we can, like, things don't have to be the way that they are now. And I wonder if that shift, because, like, you didn't, I don't think you saw that kind of stuff in, like, the civil rights movement. You had the preachers and the pastors and folks out there leading the marches. Um, and you don't really see that too much these days. You got people like, you know, Reverend um, Barber, you know, with the Poor People's Campaign. But other than that, you don't really have, like, huge um, national figures that are of the church that are like, yo, let's throw down and, like, in the name of Jesus, you know what I'm saying? Um, Could so that I w- be money influenced? I don't know. I want to do a whole episode on that because I think the phenomenon is super interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, because like if that, if you know, that definitely, that definitely does seem to be like kind of the attitude that shit is like shit morphed into of kind of like you know like pray thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. Yeah, and I don't want to paint this with too broad a brush because we're also in a time where like. Movements are very decentralized. We don't have a Martin Luther King Jr. in general. Um, and so that's not to like say this is typical of all churches everywhere, just because there isn't like a national leader that captivates our imagination the way that like MLK did in his time. But I mean, that's just what I've seen a lot of times. And it's so, it's so, so completely opposite than the way they went. These folks went into it. They were like, yo, if today's the day I meet the Lord, I'm about it. Like we come in for these, you know, these landlords that evicted so and so, and just going out guns blazing. It's so strange, but yeah, we should totally come back and do a whole, whole episode on that. Yeah, because I mean, I don't even know. I don't know if we're gonna get to it here, but I mean, you know, the whole civil rights uh, aspect of Birmingham as well. You could have a. We could have a whole episode on that shit. Yeah. Um, no, that's so, so much to uncover. And then we'll get to sort of like, I at least want to get to today, kind of talking about like how all this laid the groundwork for the civil rights movement in ways they 100% will never tell you about. Um, yeah. But like, so they're out here like with rifles and stuff, just like gun battling the racists. Do you, you have any examples of like, like a confrontation at all? I wish I did. I don't have one off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, unfortunately. Damn, I, we, that's another thing. We get some stories on that. Oof. I wonder. Yeah, if, ima- we, if we Imagine bring... some of those standoffs. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, dang, I wish I would have Yeah, gone back and reread the book. Because that's the thing that like blew my mind. It's like the descriptions of the throwdowns in the book. I'm just like, they did, excuse me, they did what? <laughs> and then get this. They, they were doing all this for like um, fairly reasonable things, better wel- welfare po- policies for the hunger-stricken, destitute, you know, bottom, you know, bottom of bottom of the bottom folks in the Depression era, better treatment for workers, basic civil rights. They were fighting for the right to vote, right to sit on juries, you know, right to not get Jim Crowed, effectively. And this is Depression era. This is Depression era. So. They were out here just meeting people's basic needs for food, water, and shelter. If someone's water got turned off, uh, communists probably would figure out a way to turn the water back on. If the electricity got turned off, they would come and use jumper cables to run electricity. And if someone got evicted from their home, they would roll up to the landlord and be like, look, you have a choice. You need to put that family back in their house or yours might not be there tomorrow. And like, just, yeah. (laughs) Just to give people a sense of like the timeline and shit like that, like 
any sort of like real civil rights discussion was at least like 20 years away <laughs> from this point when yeah. they were doing this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, they just wanted, we want some kind of work or we want some kind of support for the government. Um, but then another like animating issue for them was the Scottsboro case. In 1931, nine young black men were falsely arrested for raping two white women and they ended up going to jail. And so this is a tie-in to the um, civil rights movement because apparently Rosa Parks attended some of their meetings around the Scottsboro case. Um, and as well, some of these, um, we'll come back to that in a second. Um, but this was like a central place where they had a lot of tension with the NAACP down there at the time. So I didn't even mention earlier that um, like, when the CP rolled up in Birmingham, the NAACP. So when um, the Communist Party arrived in Birmingham, the NAACP of Birmingham and all of the surrounding county had six dues-paying members. Like they were like gasping for air, like not even. Um, so there's just, there's so much to unpack here. Unfortunately, we're gonna have to come back to it. Well, I guess fortunately, we're gonna come back to it um, in an upcoming episode. We have a lot of great guests coming up in the next couple of weeks too. Very excited for what's in store for waiting on reparations, including this new single that Mac has put out this week called Should Not Be Multiplied. Let's spend a little bit of that to take us out this week. Hey yo, rappers wanna battle, but they just ain't got the ammo though. No. Keep my mouth all on the microphone like it's a camel toe. It's happening, yo. When I'm rapping flow, it's quite mechanical. It's like a calico. Turn the MC to a phantom ghost. Damn, it's gross. It got them talking with no mandible. My Spanish blow. Cut your fucking neck and let the hammer blow. When it comes, I hit you with that force. Niggas can't oppose. Niggas ain't on my team, so fuck it, little banana boat. Bet a million dollars, you ain't that really tough. For neck be a reactionary ranting silly stuff it's an open hand slap boy you can't just really bluff have you ever considered the chance you really saw yup you just mad cause I'm the standard bear can't be fair abandon all your standard fare come fuck with your man right here you ain't gotta take my word heard the shit with chandelier I'm with the shit's reason that the witnesses just can't appear Yo, all I got is chronic in a stash all I got is MCs in my way and the profits of my past all I got's a pocket full of cash i don't even think that none of this is gonna matter soon so i just want to rap i just want to rap till some new disease and knock us all off the map nigga i just want to rap and maybe get a pocket full of cash but i don't even think this shit will matter soon so i just want to rap in the kids pool i'm trying to let the world know i even got the drip too pimping in the fur coat hit you with the big stool while i'm sipping merlot get up off my dick fool you probably call your Girl, bro, knife, iron wonder, I rhyme when I'm in slumber. My mama will whoop my ass on so my music, I hide it from her. I bury these rappers, not in the casket, but lying under the gap. Spraying out more lows than a Brian Pumper. It's that NPC funk, it's made for a boombox. These motherfuckers spitting like them rappers in boondocks. The risk taker, reaching your mouth like Britt Baker. Rip your fucking jaw out if it means I'ma get paper. Yo, all I 
got is chronic in a stash. All I got is MCs in my way and the profits of my past. All I got's a pocket full of cash. I don't even think that none of this is gonna matter soon. So I just wanna rap. I just wanna rap. Till some new disease will knock us all off the map, nigga. I just wanna rap. And maybe get a pocket full of cash. But I don't even think this shit'll matter soon. So I just wanna Listen to Waiting on Reparations on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.